Somebody tell me that's not cute. (laughs) Our epistle lesson for today is from Romans, the 10th chapter, verses 9 through 13. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The Scriptures say, No one who believes in Him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the Word of the Lord. We live in a time that most folks are calling, if you've probably heard this out there, the post-Christian era. And that disturbs some folks. In Western civilization, from the time of the Emperor Constantine down through, well, two-thirds of the way through the 20th century, Christianity was the catalyst in most of the Western world for all the changes that took place. The good ones and some of the bad ones, too. You can see that influence as it's traced through democratic governments, the ending of slavery, the move toward equal rights for women and minorities, and most of the other advances that civilization has achieved. But, of course, there's a flip side to that. There's also been an enormous amount of evil that's been done in the name of God, and we have to bear responsibility for that as well. Dare we forget crusades, wars, inquisitions, enslavements, atrocities of all kinds that got done in the name of faith. But the truth is that today the church does not occupy that prominent position in society as it once did. Now, you can find all the fault you want in that. You can say why this is so. You can blame some group. You can wish that it weren't so, but the truth, whether we want to admit it or not, it really is a post-Christian era. The basic fact of Christian beliefs and ideas now compete with all kinds of other beliefs, many of which are openly hostile to us, but the vast majority of which simply doesn't care one way or the other about us. Now. I'm going to say something that you're going to just recoil from. In some ways, living in a post-Christian era may actually be a good thing. Why? Well, because we spent the better part of 1,700 years letting culture dictate what Christianity would be. And we can't do that anymore. Now, the church... And us as believers have to be the ones who stand up and teach and lead and make Christianity make sense because culture is not going to do it anymore. And there's something positive about that. But I think there's something that's dangerous that's growing all around us. And it's this idea that the basic beliefs of Christianity are purely cultural. 
and that one culture, one religion is pretty much the same as another, and so therefore they must all have some kind of equal value. And so it doesn't really matter so much what you believe. Well, I want to dispute that. I want to dispute this idea that beliefs are unimportant. Now, certainly I'll be among the first to agree that in our culture and even in our understanding of the Christian faith, individuals have the right, indeed the obligation, to claim their own beliefs. Our own book of order, and we used to call it book of church order, it's what governs us, says... For God alone is Lord of the conscience and is left free from the doctrines and commands of men. Therefore, we consider that the rights of private judgment in all matters that respect religion to be universal and inalienable. However, we must also point out that in spite of some folks understanding that Christianity is a Western religion, it never was. Christianity doesn't start in Europe. It doesn't start in the West. In reality, it is a faith that grew out of the heart and soul of Judaism. And therefore, it's not Western at all. It's Western Asia, if you want to be technical about it. Most of the other religions around the world are so steeped in the culture where they grew up that in some ways they have a hard time transcending that culture and moving into others. As widespread as Islam is around the world, and this is a pretty good example, I think, most of you know that the Koran is always translated in Arabic. It's always written that way. Occasionally there'll be blurbs that are translated so we can read it, but for the devout Muslim it's always read in Arabic. But Christians don't do that. We write the Bible in every language we can think of. Why? Because we think the words of Scripture ought to transcend all culture and therefore be available to anybody in their native tongue. And that's one of the reasons that Christianity today is growing most rapidly where? In Africa in South America, and in Pacific Realm countries, much faster than it is in the United States or in Europe. And those Christians take faith very seriously. They are really heavily invested into their system of belief. For them, and perhaps for a growing number of Christians, what we believe is becoming more important, not less. But it's important to do a little disclaimer here when I say that. We do it not because we want to subjugate other people to our understanding of faith, but because our faith must now compete on the world stage with everybody else's. It should never be the intent for those of us who are Christian to force our beliefs on somebody else. If our faith isn't strong enough to stand on its own merits, whose fault is it? Not the faith's fault. It's our fault. We do not need to belittle, 
condemn, or otherwise slander people of other faiths. At its best, Christianity is always open to teaching and reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ in kindness and understanding to those who are different from us. Christian evangelism at its best is when it is short on condemnation and long on love and understanding. Now, if you want me to translate that into Western North Carolina, East Tennessee, it goes like this. Because my mama taught me it's easier to get flies with honey than it is with vinegar. How do we expect anybody to listen to us if all we do is condemn? Doesn't work like that, does it? And yet, there is still this strong idea in our society, and I'm afraid it runs through the church, that beliefs don't matter that much. And we say it this way, it doesn't matter so much what we believe, it's what we do that matters. Well, of course what we do and how we act matters. Don't our actions, though, grow out of our beliefs? I think it's subtle and I think it's very dangerous when we pretend that those two things are separated. So I want to ask the question today and I want to ask the question for, I think, another two weeks. We'll have to see how those sermons develop, but at least for a while. The question, do beliefs matter? And if they do, how do they matter? And the first thing I would like for us to talk about today is this idea that, that people have that beliefs don't matter so much, it's how we act. They don't see a connection between belief and character, belief and behavior. Some of you probably are old enough to have remembered the John Galsworthy novel. He was an English novelist in the mid-20th century wrote a novel, well, he wrote many novels, but one was called Made in Waiting. And there's this uh, dialogue that takes place. One of the characters, young woman whose name is Denny, and she's talking about God with her mother. And she says, God is so remote. I suppose there is a God, but we're like gnats for all He cares for us. And her mother says, don't encourage such feelings, Denny. They affect your character. But she says, I don't see any connection between beliefs and character. I'm not going to behave any worse because I cease to believe in God or in some afterlife. And see, there are a lot of people who are precisely like that. They don't see a connection between what we believe and the way we act in the world. You can't take a belief... You can't take your faith and pick it up and hold it and turn it around and look at it on all sides. And therefore, it makes it very difficult for some people who think that everything that's real has to be touchable and handleable for it to make sense. But if you throw out beliefs just because they're intangible or because they're invisible, there's a sort of an ignorance there, isn't there? We live in a day when we understand more and more that oftentimes the invisible and the intangible has a profound effect on who we are. We all hear people talk about IQ 
You know, the buzzword now is EQ, your emotional quotient. And it profoundly affects who we are. But you can't pick it up and look at it. You can't touch it. Some of you will probably remember, gosh, it must be 15, 20 years ago, there was a book that was done called The Power of Myth. And it was an interview between Bill Moyers, he's still on PBS, I think, and a guy named Joseph Campbell. And Campbell makes the statement that one of the ongoing problems in American life is that we no longer have any myths. And he defines a myth as stories that tell us about good and evil or stories that tell us about God. We live in an age of science, he says, and all the myths have been debunked. Consequently, we do not have one of the best ways there is to hold on to eternal truth. Why do you think Jesus taught in parables? Parables weren't true stories. They were stories Jesus made up. Or they were stories that the culture around him already had and he just used. Parables, if you will, are a kind of myth. It's a way of telling us about God in story form. It reveals a deeper truth. How about this for an illustration? Any of you who's ever been up in uh, one of our higher mountains here in the east, you go up on Mount Mitchell, or I guess you could probably go up on Mount Leconte, though I've not done that, or Clingman's Stone. The one I remember best is Grandfather Mountain. And you go up and you get up on top, and all the little fir trees, the balsam and the Fraser fir, have all their limbs, and it's almost as if a giant hand has pushed them all around to one side, and they're all growing that way. There's nothing out here. Why? Well, you know, it's the wind. It's the power of the prevailing wind that is so strong and so constant that it forces the tree to grow in that way. If you drop down the slope a couple hundred feet, you find perfectly normal trees. It's because they're out of the wind. But when you're in a place where the wind can blow at hurricane force, it affects everything that's there. There is a power in the invisible there. In like manner, our beliefs, while they may be hidden deeply in mind and hearts and seemingly are not important, are factors that shape who we are, whether we want them to or not. Alfred North Whitehead, the scientist and philosopher, wrote, in the long run, your character and your conduct of life depend on your inmost convictions. Or if you want a biblical reference, you can go to Proverbs. As a person thinks in his or her heart, so they are. Beliefs count for something. They can be positive or they can be horribly negative. It's not just a matter of believing what you want to believe. There is always a connection between belief and good or evil. There's always a connection between what we believe and whether the things that we're doing 
is powerful for the good or for the ill. If you don't think that's true, I invite you to go back into the last century and look at the rise of Nazism in Germany or fascism in Italy or communism in the old Soviet Union and tell me that belief does not affect the way people behave. It's pretty obvious it does, doesn't it? A basic body of belief captures hearts and lets us be positive or negative in the way we behave. You want a positive? Well, think back in our own history, if you will, to the nonviolent movement of black and white Americans in the 1950s and 60s and the way they changed society for the better. Or if you want to look at the foundation of the nation itself, both are the results of certain beliefs that captured the hearts of people and really were for the good. Both the evil and the good movements of history have not made the mistake of saying that beliefs don't matter. They know better. They know they do. But I think there's another reason that people think there's another reason why people may think that beliefs don't matter, and it is because at some level all of us make a bit of a mockery of our beliefs. I know we try. Every one of us attempt, I think, pretty hard to live the faith we say we believe. But I also know that none of us do it completely well. But I suspect you also know people who say they believe one thing, but they act entirely differently. In the old language, they, walk, they, they, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. How many people have you seen who will say one thing in public and behave entirely differently in private? Tell me what they believe. Beliefs are more than what we say we believe. It is also the way we act out that belief. All of you, I suspect, will remember this. I was flipping channels on the TV not, well, a few months ago. And I'm not even sure what channel it was on. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I see the smiles. Men flip channels a lot. <laughs> It was the old movie, The Godfather. Everybody remembers the original Godfather movie. And it's about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through it. And uh, young Michael Corleone has become the Godfather. And they're standing in church, and he's standing up for his nephew. And he is to become the godfather of his, of his nephew. And while he is standing up and saying, I decry evil and the devil, it cuts to another scene and his henchmen are executing somebody. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And it cuts to another scene and his henchmen are garroting somebody. It's one of the bloodiest films I know of. And I think that's one of the most hard-hitting. What do you think he really believed? Are you going to tell me that was the act of a Christian? 
don't think so. You can say I don't follow the devil all you want, but if you act like it, We need to make a distinction between what we profess to believe and what we really believe deep down inside. There's, well, the word in Old Anglo-Saxon for belief literally means what people live by. Doesn't mean what they think. It's what they live by. And what people live by, regardless of what they say, is what they believe. If we're confessing Jesus Christ today and then tomorrow we act like He doesn't matter, well, what do you think? Are we believers or aren't we? You've, you've seen it. Frightfully, sometimes I'm afraid I've been it. But you know the person who says that they believe in the spiritual life, but they spend 98% of their time accumulating money? Who's their God? Or somebody else who says beliefs do matter, but they want to spend their lives in giving to other people, but what they do is they spend, again, 98% of their lives on selfish pursuits. And here's what What does a nation believe that professes that everybody is equal before the law? And you and I know that they're not. What happens to a nation that professes that we believe there ought to be equality for people in terms of health care and food and housing? And we're 37th in the world in those categories. And we have the highest GNP anywhere. So you tell me what we believe most strongly. There's a difference between what we profess and what we really believe. And the truth is, the way we end up living out our lives is the profession of what we believe most strongly. Doesn't matter what we're saying. It really does come out in how we're living. So, see, I think beliefs have a supreme importance. I think they help make us who we are. What do you think? Do your beliefs matter? Do they matter not just today, but are they going to matter tomorrow morning? For that matter, are they going to matter at uh, 10.20 when you, some of you go out of here? <laughs> the, the rest of you are staying for Sunday school. I'll ask, does it, they last at 10.45? <laughs> and you climb in your car and somebody cuts you off in the traffic light. <laughs> Do our beliefs matter? See, I think they do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.